Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. But those were dark fucking years, man. I just remember like, oh, fuck. At like two, three in the morning, my mom runs into the room and she opens her mouth and she has a tooth missing. My dad punched it out, right? And then I remember like my brother and I and my mom trying to barricade the door so my dad wouldn't get in. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Today, part two of Bobby Lee. And before I get started, I want to thank you guys so much again. The broken record continues. I so much appreciate it. Thank you so much for helping us get to where we are and helping us getting to the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival again. It's so humbling, and you guys are truly, truly so supportive. You can reach me at Barry Katz at Twitter and Instagram or my website at barrycats.com, and I'll answer any of your questions or anything you want to bring to my attention. Without further ado, as I look at my guest Bobby Lee, I always like to think to myself something that relates to the podcast, and when it comes to Bobby, I just think about somebody who has struggled so mightily in his early years through so many difficult situations. Somebody who was homeless and living in his car. Somebody who's working the shittiest jobs you can ever imagine. It's just incredible to know that you're sitting across from somebody who had relatively little or no hope for a bright future and stumbled upon through fate comedy which took him to another level in his personal and professional life gave him confidence gave him happiness gave him joy and gave him the ability to go on stage or on television or movie sets 
and never fail the audience when it came to creating those holy shit moments. This guy never disappoints, always gives a thousand percent on stage. And as an actor, when he gets on the floor and that red light goes on with the camera, he's money every single time. And I can only tell you this, if you can figure out a way, wherever you are, if you're suffering, if you have a family that's abusive, if you're in a rough situation that seems hopeless or helpless, I can tell you this, it's not hopeless or helpless. You just have to look at the people around you who can get out and have gotten out and have figured out a way to win. And if you can just do that and find some kind of affiliation or some kind of a thing that you love, that you're good at, that people respond to, it can help take you out of those dangerous situations. It can help you cope with depression and help you figure out a way to get help. It can help you meet the right people, like the woman who he spent the last God knows how many years with Kalila, who has been a shining star in his life. It can bring you to great representation, like his agent, Matt Blake at CAA, or his manager, Abby Leviton, of more than 20 years. Relationships, everybody, and mental toughness and perseverance. And if you can figure out how to do those kind of things, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Bobby Lee has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. All right. I want to go way, way back. Oh, no. Take me back to the town you grew up in, what your parents <laughs> were like with you, what your brother was like, what was the socioeconomic dynamic there, and then what was your first inspiration to getting into comedy after that? Okay. God, I love this. This is old school. New school, old school. You're the best. I want to be. I know you, you are. You uh, know, I always loved you, Bob. I've always loved you. All right. <laughs> um, well, you know what? I grew up, um, my parents are, My parents met here in the United States, but they were, back in the late 60s, they, you know, they didn't really speak English that well, and they, they met, and they shouldn't have gotten married, but they did. My dad is very, he's an alcoholic, my dad was very abusive. My dad was scary growing up. He was um, he was a street he he didn't go to school. He was a street kid in 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 Seoul. Like if he would like mug people or he was like a hustler. My dad, and but when he came to America, he became um, he had three jobs right away. He had UPS. 
he worked at like an ice cream store and he had he, I mean he just that's all he did was work and he met my mom and then um, my mom left he was stalking her he she moved to Wisconsin to get away from him and he followed her to Wisconsin and he found her house and he had, he bought steak like a fresh piece of meat and he goes I love you you know what I mean here's some meat and it, it I guess it fucking you know what I mean melted her heart away because you know they started you know so then they had me and and so they they had a clothing store called Fashion Gal it was just a chain of shitty clothing stores my parents and my uncles they had 75 of them 75 stores yeah when did their first store open probably in the 70s sometime fashion gal or yeah gal gal so all for women yeah but that's an amazing accomplishment for a guy who's an alcoholic who's struggling to open he's up he's korean they're they're they're, they're, they're they, that, oh, that's all they do is work they know how to work business they they're they're hard workers I think that it's a cultural thing, not in the DNA or genes or, you know, it, I think it's, you know, Koreans use their success and the success of their children as trophies to show off in front of their other, you know, relatives or friends and whatnot. But, um, and I was born into the world and I was a fucking nightmare. I've always have been. I grew up, I woke up, I, I, and I just lit things on fire. I, uh, my brother and I were just terrors. But you know what? We were living in, you know, my parents grew, lived in Minnesota at the time when I was a kid. So you grew up in Minnesota? Well, I was born in San Diego and then they moved to Minnesota and I lived there for like 10 years. But those were dark fucking years, man. I just remember like, oh, fuck. At like two, three in the morning, my mom runs into the room and she opens her mouth and she has a tooth missing. My dad punched it out. Right? And then I remember like my brother and I and my mom trying to barricade the door so my dad wouldn't get in. How do you recover from that? Oh, you do. You recover. You live. You know? And, but I mean, I mean, that, I mean, that has a lot to do with my behavioral problems too, right? I mean, you you live in this environment and then you act out, right? So that's why I, you know, you know, became. I, I think that I was born a drug addict, but I, 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 you know, by the time I was fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, I'd been in institutions in and out. When was the first time? How oh, I was were twelve, you, maybe yeah. Twelve. Who yeah. introduced you to drugs? I we, so we went from Minnesota and then we went to. Um, we moved back to San Diego, right? When I was like 11 or whatever, 10, 11. And this kid had a skateboard and I remember him flip it over and he had like marijuana and he was rolling a joint and I walked across the street and I go, can I have some? And my dad was such an alcoholic that he had, a, we had a garage that my mom would fill. It was like a liquor store. Like she would fill with alcohol. So she would get him the booze. Yeah. But she was sober. Yeah. Even though he punched her in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever asked her why she did that? No. You know, she was a codependent and she's enabling him and whatnot, but it's also back in the day in the Korean culture, the, dad, the, the, the man was the man of the house and the mom was would do everything she could to support that guy. If your dad cheated on your mom, would she? She would never do that. He's unfuckable like I am.
what is it? Unless he paid for it. He says he's, he doesn't have sexuality with my dad has never been a thing. It's been with me and my brother. We're fucked up sexually. But like sexuality has never been a thing. You know, as far as I see it, my dad doesn't have a dick. You know, I've never seen it. I would hate to see it. It'd be terrible. Well, he's Korean. Yeah, and what are you saying? Is it small? Is that what you're saying, you fucking asshole? Is that what you're trying to elude? <laughs> that small fucker? Jews and Koreans. Small. Jews have big dicks. At Pauly Shore, I've seen his dick so many times. Dude, Pauly Shore's dick is like a ride at Magic Mountain. It twists. <laughs> it twists, right? There's a loop, right? It goes backwards. You can go on it backwards, right? Women, people wait in line to get on it. So he shows you his curved penis. Oh, my God. He used to lay it on my head when we, I used to go on tour with him. Just like this. And I would sleep with his dick on my forehead like this. So you never had a direct conversation with your mom or your dad alone somewhere and saying, hey, dad, why don't you get in the pro? Or your mom, why do you do this? All right. Thing? First of all, I don't know the Korean language. And my dad knows eight words. He barely, I've never really talked to him. I mean, we... You know, the communication is like, I love you. I'm hungry. I mean, that simple, you know. But your mom. My mom is very verbal. She's written me letters. I mean, she's very verbal. She wants to learn. She's learning Spanish, right? I mean, she's, 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 she's always been vibrant with energy. Your dad or Gooner? Well, I, don't, I think my dad's suffering. So I would have to pick Gooner. And I, I, I can't even believe I just said that. And then I just became really just in my middle school and in high school, early my early high school days, I was just a drug fiend. You know, I, my parents, I stole like 15 grand from their safe through, through a couple of years. And they never knew it. They never knew it. Yeah. You know, I was able to like support myself as a drug addict through because my parents were doing very well at the time, their business. And they were, since they were always working, they were never really around. How much money was in the safe? Oh, thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands. And, and you were methodical. You knew I'm going to take a little bit so it won't be noticed. What did you take each time? Uh, 100, 150, 200, you know. But they never noticed. They know about that now? Oh, yeah. I made, I've paid them back. I paid them back brother too no my brother at the time was a christian he was a wrestling star on the wrestling team and he got straight a's you know my brother only became a fucking crazy person in his 20s you know where he was just a dropout he graduated like eight years he went to college or whatever he graduated you go to college no i believe that everything happens for a reason i do i believe that i'm i just you know put one foot in front of the other and then things just unfold the way it's supposed to. You always have to take action, right? Like if you want to be a stand-up, you have to do it, right? But other than that, I don't really worry much about anything else really. So what happened for me was my parents kept throwing me into these institutions. And then when I was 17, I went to this place called the McDonald's Center. I was in my junior year in high school. And I, um, it was in La Jolla. So when I, when I went to the McDonald's Center, it was like a 60-day lockdown facility where you had to wear pajamas and stuff. I, um, I met a bunch of kids from La Jolla that were going through that, through treatment with me. And then so when I got sober, you know, I met all these guys. from. So I would go to A meetings 
in that area, which where, what else is at the comedy? It, the comedy store is in La Jolla, but that's my connection to La Jolla, right? Was originally going through rehab there. My, my brother went to ASU and my parents decided to open a store in Phoenix. They closed all their stores in um, San Diego and they moved to Phoenix with my brother, right? And then what ended up happening was I had to move out and I moved to La Jolla. Did you resent the fact that your parents rallied around your brother and they left you? To no, no, no. It was, it was just coincidental that they were opening a store there as well. You know, I think they were even planning on opening one there before my brother even got into ASU. So it was just a timing thing, really. Right. So it w- and I was so, so happy that they were moving. I don't know. I didn't give a fuck. But, but I was out there in La Jolla and I was waiting tables for years, working at coffee shops and working construction. And, just, and then one day I was working at a coffee shop and I showed up one day and it was closed forever. It said that was a sign. There was no s- cell phones at the time. So I showed up and just said, we're done. We're out of business. No one told me. But what was next to the coffee shop? The comedy store. And they had a help wanted sign. So I went next door. And I just knocked on it. I go, can I get a job? And there was a guy named Fred Burns at the time that worked there. And he was a comic. He was paraplegic. He had spinal bifida. Spinal bifida. He walked with the Canadian crutches, the metal ones. So Fred goes, what do you want? And I go, hey, there's a help wanted sign. And he goes, oh, you're the kid that, you know, works next door. And I go, yeah, because I used to get changed, you know. He goes, will you, you know, you'll wash dishes? I go, yeah. And he goes, all right, fill out this paperwork. And I got a job there and I used to, op- so I used to be a bar back there at open mics. I'd watch the locals go up and I just remember going, I think I can do this. Right? And then one day I went up and then for me, it happened really quick. Did you write material before you went on? Yeah, well, you know, you think of it, you think. How did it go? Not good. Was some in the crowd saying that guy's mediocre? Because the thing, I, here's what I've always known about myself is that I'm different. You know, to me, it's like, that's what you're looking for. In comedy, that's what's great about stand-up is, is that the differences of dif- differences make you special, right? So I knew that I, I look nothing like the people that were doing it, you know, the, what I, my point of view and the way I would approach it was completely different than them. And it was evident because nine months in, all of a sudden I'm in Vegas and I'm opening for Pauly in front of 5,000 people. And he saw you at La Jolla. He saw me at La Jolla. He was headlining. Yeah. And you were hosting? No, I was, here's what happened. What was great about La Jolla at the time was is that if you were, I moved from bar back to doorman, right? And if you were a doorman on a Saturday, right? So you have two doormen. One of them gets to host the first show and the other one gets to host the second show. So you seat people and then you get to do 10 minutes. It was a great setup. And you would look for, I, I was Saturday night guy, I would look forward to Saturday nights. Because you would get a packed room because that's how I met everyone. I mean, that's Mencia, Carlos Mencia at the time was this rising Hispanic guy. He saw me also 
in that slot when I was a doorman. And his manager at the time, Worthy Patterson, do you know Worthy? Of course. Yeah, Worthy saw me and Worthy signed me. So Worthy was managing Mencia and then Polly saw me. And so then all of a sudden I'm at, you know, opening for him. In, and this is when Polly was big. So I was nine months into stand up, 5,000 seats at the Riviera, did okay. But his mom was there, Mitzi. So Mitzi walked up to me afterwards and she goes, you're a paid regular at all my clubs. So imagine like being, you know, I'm sober. I'm 23. You know, I'm, I had never been with a woman aside from a prostitute. You're right. And now my world is opening up right now. It's like, Oh my God, I, there could be a life outside of just this, day-to-day grind when she said that to you that's the first time that you said to yourself i'm not doing coffee shop work i'm not going to even do the bar back thing at the comedy store anymore well no because i i remember going back and you know it's so funny because you say that because you know during the oscars you know the ad for my um sitcom you know and i got a text from this lady named Megan Lee, who owns a restaurant called the Brockton Villa in La Jolla. And Megan texted me, goes, congratulations on the show. I love you, whatever. But Megan, it's a great restaurant, by the way, but she was one of the early people that, like, if I got back to San Diego, she would, no matter what I was doing, she'd always give me shifts at her restaurant to, to make ends meet. So I could go, hey, I'm doing these shows, these nights. Can I work this night? And she was so accommodating to me because she knew that I had this dream, right? And she was cool in that way. And that's why whenever I see Megan, you know, I, I thank her because even when Mitzi made me a paid regular, I still had to go back to San Diego and, and, and work. So I worked at the store as a doorman and I used to early mornings have to do morning shifts at this fucking restaurant. What was the first thing that happened where you said, I'm quitting all the day jobs. I'm a full-time stand-up and actor. Well, I mean, you know, Paulie basically Monday. Well, I, what happened was in San Diego, I became an enemy of all the comics there. Why? I don't know. I became, I just didn't have enough allies down there and it, it, it just wars broke out. Between me, it's just, too, I could tell you stories, a million things. And, you know, I can tell you also that a lot of it has to do with me and my poor attitude and my ego or whatever. But let me just tell you this, that I wasn't, in terms of the comedy scene in San Diego, I wasn't beloved and I wasn't loved in any kind of way and I don't give a fuck. But you came to LA. And I was fucking absolutely broke. I, I remember living out of my truck the first couple of weeks. And I remember Jimmy Schubert. But you decided I'm not taking a day job. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to go to L.A. And my parents, I'm going to ask my parents to help me. And they every month was a fight. I need money. Even though they were doing so well. No, at that time they went bankrupt. And so I said... I need money. We don't have any money. I am going to die. It was like fight every month. They would send me three, four hundred bucks a month, right? 
and then um, I was laying on my truck, and then I remember one day Jimmy Schubert, I was sleeping in my truck, and he said, hey, kid, you hungry? I go, yeah, he bought me a sandwich. I'll always remember that. You know, um, all these little things that comics did for me back in the day, I will always fucking remember. What are a few you can tell the audience? I mean, p p the Shores. I mean, the Shores gave me a lot of shifts at the store. They gave me spots. And eventually I moved in, you know, to Polly's house, but it didn't happen right away. I, I, li I moved into a, a, a place called The Dumpster, which is in Silver Lake. It was this apartment that like 15 people were living in, a one-bedroom apartment. And my brother, my brother moved to L.A. too after he graduated, and we all lived at The Dumpster. We had homeless people live there. It was the worst. I mean, I used to get boils on my face because I wouldn't, couldn't wash you know what I mean? And I was so stressed out because I had no money. I couldn't eat. And I had boils on my face. And I, you know, people were like, you look like shit. I look like shit. But what ended up happening was I met Abby. Abby Leviton. And Abby... Where did you meet Abby? This is your manager. I did uh, a show called Make Me Laugh. Yep. Make Me Laugh, for those of you who don't know, is a show that's had three incarnations on television. One in the 70s. One in the 90s. That one. Um, Abby had a client, my a guy by the name of Mark Cohen. Of course, great comedian. Great now comedian. Working at and, the Comedy Cellar in Vegas now as a host. Yeah, so Mark Cohen was being managed by Abby, and Abby saw me do that little bit on Make Me Laugh, and she goes, I want to sign you. But you were with Worthy Patterson. I left Worthy. Why did you leave Worthy? Because I remember I asked Worthy if I could get a commercial agent, and he goes, hey, kid, there's, you're never going to book a commercial. He said, "You're never gonna." Book he goes, "It's gonna be hard for you, and you'll 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 we'll get you one eventually." And then Abby goes, "I'll get you one tomorrow." Did she? Yeah. And guess what? I signed with her. I I got a commercial agent, and then I was at the dumpster, living in the dumpster, right? And then I took a bite out of a car. My I, they towed my truck. You took a bite out of a car. I took a bus oh, to this commercial age, uh, um, audition for IBM. And uh, um, I booked it, and it was an international like campaign kind of a thing. This one was a $350,000 buyout. Imagine like no car, right? You know, my, my older manager saying, you're not going to book anything. And then Abby going, I can do it. And then immediately... You know, I go out on this thing, right? And you book a three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, I, I already life changer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I went and bought a car. You know what I mean? I I, I got a new place. I mean, it was a, a complete. That was my first thing. And then you never worked again. I, mean, I still worked at the store, comedy store. You still did door. Oh yeah, 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 stuff. of course. Yeah. Why? Because at the time, at the comedy store, it was I was a regular, but the only way I could get spots because I was, still wasn't a name right, or anything, was by working the door there. It was out of survival. It wasn't because of financial. And you've been with Abby for how many years? 20 plus. That's amazing. That's something a manager dreams of. But not only that, before I got that IBM commercial, for like six months, it didn't happen right away. It, you know, I would go out, you know what I mean? But for six months, she paid my rent, my light bills. She would buy me dinner. Yeah, I, here's the thing. And that's why even back in back then, I met a kid named Matt. He was at the time 
an intern. I mean, he was doing the mailroom at Gersh. And he goes, I want to hip pocket you. I could see it. Are you encouraging? This is Mad Blake. Yeah. And now he's the head of the comedy department at CAA. He's still my agent. Personal appearance agent. Yeah. So everything that I have in my life, like who represent me, has everything to do with loyalty. Except for Worthy. Yeah, but, you know, I'll be honest with you. Worthy didn't pull through for me back then. He didn't, you know? Anyone that pulled, that went to bat for me back then are my people now. You know, and that's why, like, every manager in the book wanted to manage me. And I'm one of them. But I never went to you and said, leave Abby. I want you to manage you. I know, but she thought that. I know, know. but I never did that. I understand. But even when, like, you know, three arts, everyone, Burleson and Gray, people wanted to sign me. Even back then, when that happened, I didn't leave her because of loyalty. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just I love her. And it gets, guess what? In those years when I wasn't working and things weren't going well, they stuck by me as well, right? I, that's all, all I'm looking for in a rep is a lifelong situation where it's like no matter what's going on in my career, that you're going to be there. And when things are hot and things are looking good for me, I, you will benefit, you know? So as soon as I got the IBM and then a couple of months after that, Abby goes, um, I, she goes, I have a client. Her name is Lauren Dombrowski. She produces a show called Mad TV. So they said, uh, you're not going to get, Abby goes, you're not going to get it because they're looking for, they want Taryn Killam pretty much. I, she goes, I think you should go in there and try, right? But I know what they're looking for. What they're looking for is a young white kid. Give it a go. And I go, well, I'm not a sketch guy. Just do it. All right. So I went in there and at the time, Nicole Garcia was uh, Nicole Garcia was the casting director. Now she's a manager. She's a manager now. Yeah. But Nicole, I did it. And she was like, yeah, I, I thought she was going to go. Thank you. And then I would never see her again. Right. That's what normally goes on. They say it like that way, too. Like, go fuck yourself. Thank you. But Bobby, you went on your first audition of your life and you booked a $350,000 job without trying. Yeah, but no, I mean, no, but all those. Yeah, but after that, I went out a bunch. You know what I mean? And before that, it was like my first couple. So I had already been rejected, you know, but it happened quickly, but still in it. So what happened in the room? She goes, "Ah, for the first two were terrible. The characters, I go, I don't know. All right, bye. And she's like, no, but. That last one was good. I go, good. Bye. And she's like, no. Can you come back next week and work on a couple of other things? So the next week I go back. She goes, oh, yeah, you took my notes for that. That's good. That needs improvement. And every you know, week or maybe every three days, I would go in there. And when did David Saltzman come into the casting session? By the eighth, ninth one. And David was the guy who helped create the show and was the producer of the show with Quincy Jones. So by the eighth, ninth one, it just got got bigger, the room. And then it became, it got narrowed down. And eventually it was like me, Taryn Killam, and a couple of of other people. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, am I going to get this? You know, still though, I'm a doorman, still... You know, I do have a little money from the IBM thing, but, you know, you still think, 
And then I tested and I got it. And they, they hired me and Taron Killam. Taron Killam at the time was away, obviously before SNL. He was a 17-year-old kid. He was dating Amanda Bynes. And um, I remember, because Taron just did my podcast, I remember him, we have talked about this, we sitting there and I'm just looking at him going, you're going to get this. And he was like, no, you're going to get it. You're a minority or whatever, back and forth. And when we both got it, we were just so ecstatic. And I remember that first year was great and also hellish, but that was the kind of the beginning of now I was like, okay, I quit the store. So I quit the store because now I have this job. And um, I also got the Tonight Show. When I got that, I got Leno. So I did Leno. It kind of like, I put a stamp on like, okay, I'm a stand-up as well. And, and so I was 29, 30, you know. And that was it. That was the beginning of, you know, me working. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher, it has a press button where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies it, takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out, and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better, and this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. 
and you should too. I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry. That's B-A-R-R-Y. And you'll immediately get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry. And you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name. Tell me whatever comes to mind. Could be a sentence. Okay, Could okay. Be. Academy Award winner and former Mad TV cast member Jordan Peele. Joy. I mean, it's so because I, I texted him when he won, and, and, and whenever I, it's like it's like I remember when he got the show and he didn't have a car and he was living in a one bedroom apartment with really no furniture. He likes toys like I do. We both a big fan of like designer toys, and we are so very similar, just instincts about things. You know, not that I have that his talent. I'm just saying that. Him and I connected right away. And I remember driving, would drive to, you know, Hollywood Center Studios, which is on Santa Monica Boulevard, where Matt TV was being shot. And I went driving, he would always be walking to work. He had no car. And he had this, like, kind of walk, right? And at the time, he smoked a lot of pot. So he just seemed lost, you know? And I remember picking him up, we would go there. I mean, we, we spent many, many years on that show together. And to see him get that... It's just like, it's mind-boggling. And it, I, it, it, he's one of the greatest fucking people I've ever met. So, joy. Larry David. Love, respect. I mean, I, yeah, I did Curb. And um, this is when I was on Mad, but like I remember in my head going, you know, at the time, Mad TV was considered to be SNL's bitch. We were their their sister a sister sketch show that not sister I don't know how to explain it. it was just not not it wasn't respected right so I remember doing curve knowing that I'm finally doing something that people respect and the industry it respects and I remember Larry being he's I said said hi to him the other day he's the nicest guy in the world but I remember him and Jeff and that was like the beginning of me knowing Larry Charles to do the dictator right. So Larry Charles, you know, Jeff Garland, they were all so nice to me. Sasha Baron Cohen's great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love all them. Give me somebody I hate and I'll be real. Seth Rogen. Like? I like him. I, um, yeah, I like him a lot. Ben Kingsley. I mean, the, the, the week that I worked with him, I'm in awe of him. You know, it's so funny. You do, you know, you, I mean, you've heard my story. You know, you do open mics and you just move along this path. And, you know, you know, in the six years of my, I mean, yeah, I mean, I got lucky quick, but there was a lot of struggle there. A lot of broke times, a lot of open mics, a lot of like, and you just kind of think to yourself, I'm never going to fucking make it. This is terrible. I mean, you'd sign up, and then at 8, and at 1.30 in the morning, you get to do three minutes in front of nobody, right? And that's what it's like for years. 
to go from there to being in a scene with him, you get a glimpse of like what it could be like. You get a glimpse of the dream, right? And you also get a glimpse of how, you know, the big leagues, right? You're doing scenes with people that like you're, you're, you know, they set it up and they're doing his coverage, but I'm like behind the camera and he's like, Bobby, can you say a little faster? You know what I mean? So that I, you know what I mean? I'll do a little, I'll do it faster. <laughs> right? I can't fucking believe I'm here. Right? And you do it. And then, you know, it's just one of those things in life where you lay in bed and you go, that's cool. That happened. You know, but you know, so it's, I'm in awe of him. Seth McFarlane. I love him. I, um, I think his casting director for Family Guy lied to me once and I had a kind of a falling out with this lady, but I love Seth. Edward Norton. The, I mean, the nicest can be. I remember like that one, again, another. Did you improv that scene where he slapped him? No, but I remember him going, that was, I mean, he looked at me and goes, that was great, man. That was fun, man. Huh? I go, yeah. He's like, so what do you think about if we did this? And like, he was like, I remember him going, like, we should try this or whatever. And in my head, I'm going, I'll do whatever you say because I'm, you know, I'm nothing. (laughs) Right. But he's like trying to, you know, ask my opinions about things. So I just have great, a great feeling about him. Jay Leno. He's just, I mean, when I, let me tell you something, because at that time when I got the Tonight Show, I got Mad TV, but it's not as if I was swimming in money at the time. I mean, I had saved up the, you know, IBM, but, you know, that was, I put a lot of that in, you know, I'm Korean, so we I invested all of that, you know? So I'm very Korean in that way, you know? I still have some of that money, by the by. But anyway, I still, um, I made it to the Tonight Show, and my brother was there, and my brother had a skateboard, and my brother was, and I were sitting there. I was shaking. With weed on the bottom? No. Call back. Oh, you're so good. <laughs> Call back, guys. <laughs> um, and I remember Jay, I get a knock, and then I open it, it's Jay. And he walks in. He goes, hey, you're a comedy store comic, huh? I go, yeah. And he sits down. My, bro- my brother's so nervous. My brother's skateboard is going... You know, you can hear the, you know, and, um, and I'm trying to, you know, there's an old term, fake it till you make it, right? You don't think that you deserve to be there. You think you're a fraud, but you have to pretend that you're, you know, there for a reason, right? You're like, you know what you're doing. So, you know, you're in your head, like listening to what he's saying, but in your head, you're going, I'm going to bomb, right? This is going to be terrible, right? But I just remember it being like another one of those magical things. As a young guy, you just, you know, these are, these are things that you never thought that could happen. And then, you know, these things are happening. And, you know, when you're in the moment and you're, and you're, I'm not from show, like a lot of these guys, like Paulie was raised with it, right? But I was raised in the suburbs, San Diego. My parents are immigrants. They don't speak that much English. I don't have any connection to Hollywood in any way, right? So when you're now going, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm here, it becomes really magical almost. You know, it's almost as like, am I dreaming? You know, now I'm fucking jaded as fuck, right? But, you know, at the time, those little things were like amazing. 
Hey everybody, we have a new sponsor that I'm really excited about, Four Hymns. It's a one-stop shop for men regarding hair and sexuality and much, much more. It's common knowledge that we guys don't take care of ourselves as well as women do. For instance, 66% of all men lose their hair by age 35, but don't notice it until it's too late. But now there's a product that could prevent balding altogether. 4hims.com offers a wide range of products for hair loss, skin care, and other wellness supplements for men. 4hims.com will connect you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to prevent hair loss fast. So order now and get a special deal offered only to my listeners and go to 4hims.com slash Barry, that's B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll get a trial month of 4hims for just five bucks. This would normally cost you hundreds of dollars. So just visit 4hims.com slash Barry and get the deal of a lifetime. And I guarantee you, you will not regret it. I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking, environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable, revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it'll make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me and it'll work for you. Proudest moment in show business. There's just, there's a lot of proud moments, you know, you know, you can't really narrow it down to one thing. I think my proudest moment is, because I didn't really get into this, but I told you that I was sober, right? So when I got Mad TV, I relapsed. And I went into a two-year drug binge. I remember that. Yeah. I was doing 60 Vicodins a day, drinking 24 hours a day. I wouldn't show up to shoots. I would bail table reads. I was on the precipice of being fired. But they supported you. They tried, yeah. And then after two years, they did fire me. And I, as soon as they did, it's not that they called and said, you're fired, but, you know, my contract, they were going to, my agent was like, there's nothing, they're going to pick it back up. You're, you're, you're done, right? 
So I went into rehab again, right? And um, I got sober and they called me back because they knew that I was doing better and they go, we're gonna give him a trial run. It's in that little chunk that I'm proud of because you know, I couldn't get on the show when I first got mad. It was really hard. I didn't think that they liked me. Um, I didn't. F I felt unwanted there. And but what I did was, I got sober and I showed up, and I went. You know what? I'm going to fight for slots. I'm going to fight. And it's in that little moment where I was proud because I got to stay sober. I proved my worth, and I stayed on the show for six more years. You know, and that was a triumph for me. You know, sketch shows are hard. I mean, they, you're, you're, they put people in to like in this pot and they go fight, right? And you're stabbing and, you know, you know, you're, and then, you know, you, I'm not, a, you know, in that way, I'm not, a, so I just kind of left the pot, but I went back in. And I, I, I stayed in, you know, I'm in the soup. Biggest disappointment in show business oh and how you God. used it to fuel yourself to the next level. A lot of disappointments, man. A lot of failures, a lot of, you know, I have PTSD from auditions. I really do. I have post-traumatic, what is stress disorder? That should be PTAD, post-traumatic Audition disorder? Yeah. Yeah. I've had auditions where they were so traumatically awful. No, I'm not kidding you. Where my agents said, oh, I don't, I've never, we, ne we got a call from them saying that, that what you did, you didn't, that was terrible. Right? And especially when Mad TV was end ended and I had these little tiny brief situations where, I had to get a job or, and I failed so miserably, right? Where I just blanked, you know, in the middle of an audition and walked out. You mean, or it was, I, I mumbled because I was so nervous, because so desperate for a job, right? And then for me, because they were so traumatic, it gave me this fear of actually even going in. But because of Kalila, you know, I was forced to go in there and I learned to do it. You got jobs when you didn't try and that created a false sense of security for you because why try really hard when you got a $350,000 job when you didn't really try? You got mad TV when you weren't ready. Some great talented people, naturally funny like yourself, get gigs without trying and then they naturally think, well, I don't have to try as hard because I already booked jobs without trying. Yeah. What happened was, is in the beginning, you don't think you're going to get it, right? Like when you first go in, you go, there's no way I'm going to get this. There's no way. And then you do get it, right? But then eventually you need it. You think you need it, right? I, I bought a, car, a house, I have mortgage, right? I, you know, my ego, all those things that didn't exist before. And then you walk in there and you're just needy. 
right? It's in your face and your eyes. And you're just like, I, I need to get this. And they can sense it, right? And then it, and then it just, it, it just becomes a, a disaster because you're just so desperate. And then when you forget a line, you, it, everything just falls apart. And then you walk out. I mean, I, I did this one audition where I did so poorly. I took a bottle of water and I hit my head over the head of it with it, and I was bleeding down into my face. You know what I mean I would go into a in my, into my car and I would burst into tears, right? Because it's over, it's over, right? And I would cry, right, and tremble, and then years of that. You have to imagine after that Mad TV, it was years of that, of just like oh. And then what happened was you get reborn and you go, oh. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a job, right? And I also want to be happy. And I can't live like this anymore. I can't be devastated every time. And I want to be free of it. So then you kind of go, I'm just going to do my own thing, right? So I'm going to do Tiger Belly. We make money off of Tiger Belly. I want to do stand-up. People come out. I crush. It's mine, right? And I make money. I learn to make money through these other ways. And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden now I'm on a sitcom. How did I get that? I don't know how. I didn't audition for it. I just got a call. They want you on this sitcom. And I go... All right, let me read it. I was gonna say yes anyway, but I, you know, you, you know, you read it. And you go, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, it got picked up, and now, you know, it's happening. But if that goes away, it goes away, and I'm, I'm gonna continue to do stand up. I'm gonna continue to do my thing. And if those things go away all as well, then I'll be fine. Final question, what advice do you have for the young person who is struggling with an alcoholic parent or is doing drugs, doesn't know where he's going, doing shitty jobs, living in his car, but has a dream, and how do they get to the point to have the kind of career that you've had? Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's this. It's like, you know, when I w- you know nothing would have happened without sobriety. I mean, stand-up wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten sober, Okay. So if you have a drug addiction, you, you know, you're sick, you have a disease, take care of that first, right? And then you have to walk through fear. At the end of the day, yes, I have PTSD about going into auditions. Yes, doing stand-up is difficult and it's, it's a grind, right? But I still did those things. Without doing those things, there is no end product, right? So... You have to do those two things if you're a drug addict. Take care of your disease and then walk through immense amounts of fear and, and, you know, and go up and do the thing that you want to do. You're amazing today. I've been trying to get you on I for know, four we're years. We're here. Like Not this. four fucking years. That's ridiculous. Five days. I love you, though. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend 
a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Steve Cleveland, July 16th, 2013. Heading reads, keep it up, five stars. And the comment is, keep pulling back that curtain for us. Most of us don't get to hear from the guys who control the industry. We only hear the fluff and promotional junk. Love the real life stories, good and bad. Thank you so much, Steve Cleveland. I really appreciate it. You are a winner. Okay, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our sponsors, AquaTrue, the groundbreaking small countertop water purifier. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry. Get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. And the groundbreaking documentary, I Killed JFK, and the additional interviews of five of the last remaining JFK assassination experts. It features the only living person in history to admit to killing President Kennedy. You can purchase these exclusively at IKilledJFK.com. When Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? Trust me, I guarantee it will change the way you look at the world. And the incredible air purifier, the Air Doctor, that removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and everything bad in your house. You can save $300 right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and entering the promo code Barry and finally start breathing in clean and healthy air in your home starting today. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my partners at Wondery. They are truly amazing. Recently, they asked me to request if you would just take a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey. Just go to wondery.com survey, and you can do it straight from your smartphone. It would really help us out here at the show and at Wondery. That's wondery.com survey. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends.
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.